listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. What an awesome worship time. Uh, just give it up for God, please. Just, that was just amazing. I don't know, I don't know about you, but the, the presence was thick. I could feel it in that song because of, I mean, God is omnipresent and he's always here, but the manifest presence, it just, I, you know, I felt goosebumps and you guys helped create a part of that because of your reckless abandon towards worship of God. It's beautiful. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, we are closing out a series called Peacemakers and just to give you a brief overview of what we've discussed. We started on week one talking about the foundation of peacemaking. The foundation of peacemaking was that my reconciliation with God, that is vertical reconciliation, leads me to reconcile with others. It leads to horizontal reconciliation. That means because I've been forgiven, because I've been accepted, even though I didn't deserve it, I also seek to make radical peace, peace that doesn't make sense, reconciliation where it doesn't make sense. It is a natural result of that. Then we had Pastor Jason talk about uh, reconciliation with others in the church body. We had Brian and Jody Bell talk about reconciliation, or rather peacemaking uh, within the marriage, and they gave us some uh, biblical insight and strategies, which were so good. We also talked about um, how to deal with reconciliation when the other party simply doesn't want to participate in our peacemaking, meaning they don't maybe want to receive peace. They don't want to be forgiven from something they may have done to us. Um, and we saw how Pastor Jason last week was talking about when we ourselves maybe are lacking peace with God, maybe we're angry with God allowing a situation to happen. Um, and so it's been a great series, and you can always go to the podcast through any of your podcast playing apps or through the website and check out these past sermons. But something that we should address as peacemakers is that there is a type of peace that not only can we not establish, it is expected to be lack of peace. There is a situation in which there will be no peace. And if we try to make peace under that circumstance, we can become a toxic peacemaker. Jesus speaks of this clearly in his gospel, a passage that we're going to be looking at in a little bit. Uh, Jesus actually tells us that he has not come to bring peace. And it almost sounds backwards because he's been telling us that he gives us peace, not as the world gives it. And then on, on this other passage, suddenly he's saying, I have not come to bring peace, but rather division. So there is a type of peace that we should not expect. And so this, this peace that, that we can't expect sometimes because of the gospel, because of the sake of the gospel, because of our beliefs, sometimes this lack of peace could be with our very own family members. It could be within our very own household. It could be within our network of close friends. I'm going to give you a little bit of my story, and I've, many of you have uh, heard me share on this before. Uh, I was born and raised... Catholic. 
<laughs> and, and I say that in a good way because I am grateful for my Catholic foundation. Uh, my parents uh, brought me up in that tradition. It was a tradition of my parents and their parents before them. I'm from Puerto Rico, and, you know, mostly Puerto Rico is Catholic, Hispanic Catholic, you know, which is, you know, if you're misbehaving during La Misa, which is Mass, it's, en el nombre de Padre y Espíritu, cállate, and they smack you. That's usually what it was. Um, but here's the thing. Uh, I am thankful for that, uh, for that foundation, because it gave me a love for Jesus, though there was still a lot that I needed to learn. So I was brought up in that tradition, and I wanted to honor God, and I wanted to live a godly life, but I failed consistently. And in, in the traditions that I learned, basically my salvation, my acceptance in God's embrace uh, really depended a lot on what I was able to do, how holy I could live a life. But the gospel of grace, as I went into my early 20s, the gospel of grace freed me from being religious and instead becoming a new person in Christ Jesus. That's what the gospel of grace teaches us. Um, and I'm grateful for my Catholic upbringing because as a Catholic, I really tried, really tried to be religious and I failed consistently. And I was shocked when I opened the Bible in Romans 3 and it said, actually, all have fallen short. You can't be holy. I was shocked in a good way because it, it made me realize the solution was not for me to be holier on my own efforts, but rather to have Jesus make me a new holy person. By his power, by his grace, by his mercy, I do that. Now, when I decided to become a, what I called back then a non-denominational evangelical Christian, um, meaning not a Catholic, uh, my family was not happy. You know, and if you are in a really Catholica, Rom, uh, Romana, Apostolica type family, you can relate to this. Uh, my family was not happy. I'm going to read you some quotes from different family members without throwing them under the bus. One of my fa close family members said, I am disappointed because you were the example of the family. <laughs> Another one said, I, I had now become a religious fanatic. Uh, someone said, I was possessed. <laughs> I, just, I still laugh at these because it's like, what? I'm possessed? What? I'm, I'm, I'm all about Jesus. What happened? Uh, and uh, one, of the, one of the more divisive uh, fights I had with a close family member, very close, uh, this family member was so upset, he said, why switch? Why are you switching? This is what we taught you. Why are, we say are you saying I am not going to go to heaven, but you are? What about Gandhi? Is Gandhi not good enough for heaven? Didn't he live a great, humble life of lack of conflict? Are you saying that Gandhi, are you saying that the Pope, are you, like, this person in my family got really upset because immediately my beliefs were divisive. And my, in my family, uh, they were Catholic, but they were Catholic by tradition. They weren't I was the one that was practicing. They didn't practice very much. So they had a very humanistic mindset, meaning always go to God as long as you're trying to be, lead a good life and trying to seek God your own way. Whether that's through Buddhism, whether that's through uh, Catholicism, whether that's through evangelical Christianity, whatever it is, you know, as long as you're living a good life and going up there uh, towards God, you're going you're gonna to be fine. Um, so when you subscribe to a faith that denies that, there is no way it is not divisive. 
When you subscribe to a faith that says Jesus is the only way because he declared it, it's immediately divisive. There's no way around it. The truth is, when, when that person in my family asked me, what about Gandhi? I responded with Romans 3 that said, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. But this is divisive. Because again, if a person is trying to lead a good life, you're telling them, no matter how good a life you try to live, without Jesus, you're not making it. It's, this is divisive. Especially in, to, in today's pluralistic culture, in today's relative truth, postmodern culture, this stuff is very divisive. This conflict now within my family and with myself was purely based on my new worldview, nothing else. Nothing that I did to them, nothing that they did to me, it was purely based on what I now believed. The main point today that you must know is this, the biblical worldview will never be at peace with the secular worldview. Okay, the biblical worldview will never be at peace with the secular worldview. Never. The reason for this is because the biblical worldview is, in fact, bringing in, ushering in the kingdom of God and the ways of the kingdom of God, which surpass and are not only superior, but they are coming permanently while this world is fading away in its old ways. So what I want us to do is two things today. Number one, let's understand why this divide happens. Let's be aware of why the divide with culture happens. Meaning, if I subscribe to the Christian faith, why am I automatically at war with the culture of secularism? Why is that the case? Why the divide? Number two, we want to see how we should respond to that divide as peacemakers. We can't establish peace with culture in the world. But what we can do is be aware of what causes the divide and how we can respond in a non-toxic way. Non-toxic way, excuse me. Let's study the divisive nature of the gospel by going to the very passage where Jesus says he has not come to bring peace. Let's go to Matthew chapter 10 verses 34 through 39. This is Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 39. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So there it is. That's the, the controversial passage. And in a sense, sometimes you might, be, you might take a superficial reading of this and say, oh, wow, like, God doesn't want me to love my, my family or my parents. Uh, and, and Jesus isn't saying that. What he's saying is that he surpasses. He is the, the focus. He is primary in our affections. See, Jesus doesn't want religion. He wants our affections. He, want us to, he wants us to truly value him above all. 
we, he, want, he actually asks us to love him, right? And so that love is not a religious response. It's a heart response. And so we must love him above all. And when our beliefs come to conflict with those in our households or in our close families, the first thing that you might ask yourself is, is it worth it? Is this worth it? I had a student at CBU come to me once uh, from a different religious background, totally different Eastern background. Um, and he said that he had been having dreams uh, of Jesus or something related to that. And he was questioning whether he should come to Jesus. And he was right there. He was really close to accepting Jesus. And he said, yeah, but I can't do it. My, my parents would disown me. They would just totally disown me. I would never be welcome again in my house. I'm still praying for him, and I ask you to pray for him. But that's, that's, the, that's what Jesus is talking about here. If we're all for Jesus up to that point where, no, I can't because my family will disown me, then Jesus is saying, well, I am not first in your heart. I gave my life for you. You have to give your life for me. It's tough. This is divisive. I'm not sugarcoating it. I can tell you because I've experienced it in my own family. Now, what is it that causes this divide? Why is it that sometimes our very own family will be at odds against us? There's three reasons. I told you we're doing two things today. One is seeing the why, and second, how do we respond? So let's see three reasons. These aren't the only reasons, okay? These are just three reasons that are important to the culture dialogue today. Three reasons as to why Jesus is so divisive, even within our family. The first reason, the world only accepts relative truth, but Jesus declares he is the truth. First divisive statement, out of the gate. The world only accepts relative truth, but Jesus declares he is the truth. This is tough stuff. So Jesus is saying, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. In John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The world's climate, the world's culture, the dialogue right now is that relative truth is what matters. And as I said earlier, that perspective that as long as you're seeking God, you get to God. No matter what religion, no matter what point of view you subscribe to. The problem with that is that, as it says elsewhere in the New Testament, if that were the case, then Jesus died on the cross for nothing. Jesus died on the cross because he is the only way. That was the only way to justify you of your sins. So Jesus says here, no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus declares he is the truth because he embodies the supreme revelation of God. He is the self-disclosure of God. That's why it says in John 1.14 that his word was made, the word was made flesh. Jesus is our, the correct perspective of who God is. In this pluralistic culture today, people have different perceptions of how God should be, what sins God approves, what sins God doesn't approve. Everyone has their opinion on who God is. And here's the thing, Jesus was the self-disclosure. You want to know the Father? Look at me. You want to know the Father? Hear my words. My words are his words. So we must understand when he says he is the truth, he's saying he is 
the measure. He is the way that we see what the Father is like, what the Father approves and what the Father disapproves. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no such thing as relative truth. He is the truth. That's why in John 8 it says, the truth shall set you free. Jesus shall set us free. Reason number two why Jesus is so divisive. Reason number two. The world preaches self-acceptance and self-exaltation, but Jesus preaches self-denial. Ooh, this one's really hard. The world preaches self-acceptance and self-exaltation, but Jesus preaches self-denial. Self-exaltation. We are in the most, the most exponentially expressed self-exaltation uh, age of our world where everyone has their own personal website. Everyone has their own personal Instagram or Facebook or whatever it is, and everyone is promoting their careers or their families or whatever it is, we are self-exalting. We are seeking to be exalted. We are seeking the approval uh, and the acceptance of others around us. And because of that, we also preach highly self-acceptance. And I I have to clarify here, there is a component of the gospel that leads us to self-acceptance in the eyes of Jesus and in the heart of the gospel, not self-acceptance in our self-determined principles. So we have to be careful because I'm not saying that you should be unhappy with yourself. That's not what we're saying. The problem is the world preaches self-acceptance in the sense that it says you don't have to fix anything about yourself. The world says you don't have to change anything about how you were raised or how you were born or what inclinations you have. The world says you don't have to change those. But Jesus, and this is why he's so divisive, he says no, Deny yourself. I mean, you can try to sugarcoat it all you want, but Jesus is asking us to put our interest aside as he put his life aside for us. You understand it's a relationship. Anyone that's in a marriage or in a relationship knows that there's sacrifices on both ends. Right? And so in this relationship, Jesus sacrifices his life I must sacrifice my life, not on the cross, but how I choose to live it, despite what I want. Despite what I want, I choose to live the way that he is asking me because he denied his own life. That's why Jesus preaches self-denial. In Matthew 16, 24, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Let me read that again. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This is not what the world today preaches in our secular perspectives. It's all about self-acceptance and self-exaltation. Jesus is saying, no, don't make it about you. Make it about me because I made the cross about you. He died for you. He loves you. So again, this is, this is tough stuff. This culture, in fact, the very secular world culture that we live in is all about promoting not self-denial, not, not, not self-denial, but rather self-acceptance and self-exaltation. You're okay the way you are. You were born that way. Don't fix yourself. In fact, celebrate or be happy with who you are. 
And Jesus is saying, no, I put myself aside. You must do the same. And it's going to be hard, but it was hard for me on the cross. I mean, it, this, if you feel the tension, it's because it's there. <laughs> there is divisiveness. Jesus is divisive. This is a peace that we can't establish. Jesus says it's either me or no me. Jesus told the rich person, when that rich person asked, what must I do? I've lived faithfully. I've done this. I've done that. I've been a good person. And Jesus says, yes, great. You've been a good person. Give up all your riches and follow me. And he walked away. Jesus is asking for self-denial so that we would embrace him fully. There's no other way to embrace him fully. There's no way. But here's the beauty of self-denial. Reason number three why Jesus is divisive. The world preaches that self-worth is more important than Jesus' worth. But Jesus preaches self-denial. He preaches self-denial because Jesus is worth it. You must understand, if I'm going to sacrifice something and I just don't consider the outcome worth it, I'm not going to do it. For example... I love pizza, and I shouldn't eat pizza because carbs and this. <laughs> and I have to ask myself, do I, am I going to eat the pizza and get the carbs, or am I going to avoid it? And sometimes it's not worth it. <laughs> sometimes it's not worth it. Sometimes I'm like, you know what, I'm still going to get uh, my, my, my little... My love handles here. I'm going to get those going because I love pizza. It's not worth it. It's not worth it to leave the pizza. It's not worth it to sacrifice rice. I love rice. Puerto Ricans love rice. Arroz con habichuelas. Like, we love it. <laughs> but with Jesus, the story is different. He is worth it. You do deny yourself because he is worth it. And this is biblical, and it is found in various passages in the New Testament. The world doesn't understand this, and this is why he's so divisive. The world says, you're worth it. Jesus says, I am worth it. Philippians 3, verses 7 through 9. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He didn't say because of heaven. What makes heaven heaven is Jesus. Okay, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, a righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul is telling us here, he'll lose anything. He will self-deny to the very end for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus. We practice and preach self-denial because he is worth it. That's why. Otherwise, we're just another religion. Christians are Christians because they rely and live and worship and love and breathe a person, a savior who came to earth, became flesh to die for you, self-denied for you, so we self-deny for him. In Galatians 2.20, we see Paul yet again say the very same concept in a different way. 
He sees the parallel. Jesus denied himself. He denied his life so that I could deny myself. And he does it with the analogy of the cross. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That passage is so good because it encapsulates exactly what we're talking about. You no longer live for you. You live for him because he gave himself for you. It says at the very end of that, oh, it would be so incomplete without it, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's why I crucify myself. That's why I deny myself. Because he is the most supreme treasure, savior, Lord, God that I could ever have and experience. And that is why I will live differently even if it negates who I am. He is worth it. These three points that we've seen today are, the, are some, there's many more, some of the reasons why the biblical worldview is so divisive from secular worldview, especially in today's post-truth world. Unless we're talking about science, truth is relative to everyone. See, people don't have a problem with a modified Jesus. They have a problem with the Jesus of the Bible. The world would like a less offensive Jesus. I had to write this down. So then they try to buffer the impact and claims of Jesus by reducing his messianic claims and making him a great teacher. That's what the world does. It's like, oh, all right, Jesus is cool. He did good stuff. He cared about the poor. He cared about the neglected. He, he was all about love your enemy, self-sacrifice, all that. But yeah, this stuff about him being God in the only way, uh, that's, that's not... That's not really who Jesus was. They try to define who Jesus is according to today's worldview. Listen to the words about this very problem. Listen to the words of C.S. Lewis from one of my all-time favorite books, Mere Christianity. C.S. Lewis, by the way, writer of the Chronicles of Narnia, and he was an atheist. But he came to Jesus Here's what he has to say about this very problem that the world does where they try to reduce Jesus into a good teacher, not the Messiah. They don't like Jesus the Messiah, they like Jesus the good teacher. He says, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept him, his claim to be God. That is... The one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. I mean, we just saw it in his claims. We just saw it when he said, I am the truth, the way, and the life. And it's not the only place where he says it. In chapter 6, there's numerous uh, places where Jesus says things that people just didn't like. In fact, some people stopped following him. Jesus said to them in John 6, 35, 
I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. In verse 38, for I have come down from heaven. That's not a human teacher. I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but that the will of him who sent me. Verse 40, for this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Their reaction is, who's this guy? Wasn't he the son of Joseph? Whose father, I mean, didn't we know his father and his mother? Why is he saying, I come down from heaven? Jesus says in verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And here's the, the kicker, again, the divisive nature. Verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. We can't buffer down who Jesus says he is. This world will be at war consistently with the claims of Jesus. There's no way around it. Jesus the Messiah is countercultural and offensive to secularism completely or to pluralistic worldviews about God. So the key question, this is so, such a gloomy result, we can't make peace as peacemakers. We can't make peace with the world because their worldview is opposite to that of the gospel. What can we do in light of this? How should we respond? Two things. Number one, remind yourself of his greater worth so that self-denial is always seen as the greater worth. Remind yourself of his greater worth so that self-denial is always seen as him being the greater worth. Self-denial for the sake of self-denial is just religion. But if you show in your self-denial, if you remind yourself why, because he is worth it, That is more fruitful and definitely more uh, satisfying because there's a reason attached to it. You're focusing on him. It's not just a religion. It's a relationship. So remind yourself of his greater worth so that self-denial is always seen as a worth problem. Number two, evangelize by focusing on why gaining Jesus is worth all the cost. In other words, transmit the same thing to others. Don't try to sell a lifestyle to people. What does that mean? A lot of Christians nowadays, they try to talk to the people by first telling them what they're doing wrong. Oh, you're doing this and that's a sin. You're doing that and that's a sin. If they don't think Jesus exists, it's pointless. They won't buy into a different lifestyle if it's not worth it. So... That's why self-denial must be anchored on his worth. He is worth it. That's why I self-denial. If, if I tell people to self-deny just for the sake of self-denial, it doesn't make any sense. Just like with the pizza and the carbs. Makes no sense. You have to show them that Jesus has a surpassing greater worth such that Paul says, I count all as loss. I will throw all away for the sake of knowing him. So don't evangelize lifestyles. Don't go around preaching a lifestyle. The lifestyle, we address that once Jesus has been accepted because then the person says, yes, I am willing to deny everything about myself as hard as that may be because he denied his life for me. 
You have to focus on the person. We don't evangelize a lifestyle. We evangelize a person, a savior, a God. And when we evangelize him, he changes us. Otherwise, we fall into that trap of promoting a lifestyle. See, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 3.15-17, through 17, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. We do have a reason. Sometimes we just think that we're believing because we're supposed to. We're supposed to believe in Jesus because we don't go to hell that way. Look, the reality is the reason heaven is better than hell is because Jesus is in heaven. It's much more about the person and embracing Jesus Christ. We want him. This is why. And so that when we read Peter say that we must be ready to give a reason, that means when we evangelize, we don't start by saying accept Jesus because Jesus. We say Jesus is the bread of life. He will never let you thirst. He's going to satisfy everything in your heart that's missing. You keep looking for all the wrong areas and all the wrong things, but Jesus is saying, I am the one that satisfies you. We must promote a person. Everything else follows after that. People must be hungry to love Jesus because he died for them. To summarize as the band comes up, whether we're being countercultural or whether we're evangelizing, always focus on the fact that gaining Jesus is infinitely worth it. Whether we're practicing self-denial or whether we are evangelizing, we focus for ourselves and for others on tying our self-denial to a person of great worth because otherwise self-denial makes no sense. You must be like Paul that says, I'll throw it all away for the sake of following Jesus. So as the ushers get ready um, to, to come and pick up the tithes and offerings, let's take a moment to pray over this, this teaching that Jesus brings us and the divisiveness that it creates in the world around us. Let's pray. Father, it is hard to be at war with the world. We don't seek to be at war with the world, but our beliefs immediately put us in a position of divisiveness. Your claims are offensive to the secular culture, that your claims are either the claims of a lunatic or the claims of the very living God. And what we say and how we respond today is we remind ourselves that we can't fix that divisiveness, Father. But we remind ourselves that instead what we can do is show that you are worth it. That we live a life of self-denial because you are worth it. So we pray at this moment, Father. When we are faced with difficult decisions on how we live our life, may we seek self-denial not for the sake of just denying ourselves, but for the sake of running to you, to embrace you, to know you more, to have more of you, that we would always give a reason to why we deny ourselves and that we would always present the gospel to the world as a denial of ourselves for the sake of having you. Because you gave yourself up, we have been crucified. 
because it is greater to know you than anything else, we throw it all away. We count all as loss next to the surpassing worth of Christ Jesus. At this moment, I pray for the tithes and offerings that they would be multiplied, that they'd be used for all the ministries, all the impact, the gospel impact that we're trying to do as a church, Lord. May, may it bless others as much as it blesses us to give because we give as an exercise of worship not as a religious exercise. We give because we trust in you. It's an exercise of trust. So Father, receive this, multiply it, and help us walk in self-denial by anchoring on who you are and your greater worth. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.